0: Welcome to the Friends of NPACE podcast. My name is Josh Plockin. I'm the Chief Operating Officer for Nurse Practitioner Associates for Continuing Education, better known as NPACE. NPACE is a nonprofit continuing education organization founded in 1980 by a group of nurse practitioners looking to help advance the profession and bring nurse practitioners from across the country together for professional development opportunities. NPACE is an ANCC accredited provider of continuing education, offering in-person and virtual conferences and on-demand CE programs for nurse practitioners. We welcome you to visit NPACE.org for more information on everything NPACE. The Friends of NPACE podcast is an exciting new venture for NPACE. We look forward to this podcast being an opportunity to bring guests and friends of NPACE together for important healthcare discussions. Our hope for this podcast is that it becomes an opportunity for the NPACE community to hear and learn from the amazing people and resources that interact with our organization. We're excited that you've chosen to tune into our first episode, where two nurse practitioner leaders who we'll introduce in just a moment will be having a conversation about NP trends in self-care, obesity, women's health, and how this all translates to clinical practice. Before we, make your introduc- Before we make our introductions, wherever you get your podcast, we want to remind our audience to please subscribe, rate, and leave comments and reviews. We can't wait to get our conversation underway with two amazing guests today. And without further ado, let's introduce them. Our first introduction is, is with one of our NPACE team members and hosts Terry Schmidt. Terry currently serves as the Executive Director of NPACE. And she has been with NPACE since 2020. She's been a fantastic leader for the organization. In addition to being the NPACE executive director, Terry also works clinically for Galileo Health as a family nurse practitioner and diabetes advisor, and previously served as a professor and dean at Chamberlain University School of Nursing and in various other clinical and educational leadership positions. She has worked in healthcare for almost 30 years. 22 of those as a nurse practitioner, and she has served in several community positions advising on diabetes, obesity, and pediatric health. And she's worked with specific populations across the lifespan in health promotion and disease prevention. Our next introduction is for someone very near and dear to NPACE. She is our guest today as an expert, but is also part of the NPACE family. Dr. Mimi Secor has served NPACE many years and is currently an NPACE Board of Directors member and speaker. Mimi is a nurse practitioner, national speaker, educator, a number one international best-selling author, and a health and fitness advocate. Mimi has been a family nurse practitioner specializing in women's health for 43 years. Recently, she has been more focused on health and fitness and she is also senior faculty with NPE's partner, Advanced Practice Education Associates, APEA, and is a fellow in both the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, AANP, and the American Academy of Nursing, AAN. Terry and Mimi, we are so happy to have both of you with us today. We look forward to the conversation you're about to have and look forward to learning from both of you. Thank you, Josh.
1: Thanks,
2: Thank Josh. You, Terry. Ah, uh, thank you, Mimi. And um, I'm so excited to have you here. And it's wonderful <laughs> to have this Friends of Npace podcast really launching. So big thanks to Josh, and Brian, yes. um, and the crew for getting that going. But anytime I can corner you, Mimi, and talk women's <laughs> health, the health of professional NPs, obesity—that's why you're here. So I'm oh, <laughs> so excited. an honor
1: to be here with you.
2: Thank you. I really appreciate your time today because I know you're an expert in this topic. You know this journey is personal for me on lots of levels, and I I see it. There's not a day I don't practice clinically that what we're about to talk about doesn't impact my patients, sometimes all of them, regardless of what I've seen. (laughs) them. Yeah. So I want to start by just hearing a little bit about your journey, how you got into this topic of women's health and obesity and how those mingled together for you. Want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, you know, I prepared as a family nurse practitioner, but very soon in my career, I just fell in love with women's health. And I found that in the context of taking care of women, they really shared so much about their lives, and they wanted help with their lifestyle and with their stress. And I just feel like that is a has always been a focus for me to be able to help people have better quality of life, healthier habits. And I've just been ramping up that interest in recent years as a result of really learning how to practice self-care in my life the past 10 years, I would say, is when I've really turned my, my ship around and been much more consistent. I like that.
2: Yeah, it's funny how what we learn and we practice in our personal life can help improve and translate yes. what we're doing with patients yes. Yes. Um, more than just following a set of guidelines.
1: And I have to say my daughter was really pivotal in this because at the age of 59, I decided in one of my, you know, maybe some people would think it was kind of crazy to go back and earn a doctoral degree at age 59, but I hadn't really learned how to manage extreme stress. So within a, the first semester, I was really crashing and burning in my typical style. And my daughter happened to be at home at the time preparing for bodybuilding competitions. And she said, mom, what are you doing? I said, what do you think I'm doing? What does it look like I'm doing? I'm reading articles and books and doing my homework. She said, no, you're just crashing and burning like you always do. I thought you were supposed to be a healthy role model as a nurse practitioner. And that was like, boom, a stake in my heart. I, I realized that I was a hypocrite. That when I was out in public, I looked like I had it all together. But at home behind the scenes, I didn't. And internally, I didn't. So she helped me gradually really learn how to deal with extreme stress and coping in healthy ways. So when I graduated with my DNP, I'd lost 30 pounds. I'd learned to bodybuild. My chronic back pain I'd had my entire career was gone. My mindset was so much more positive. I wasn't bullying myself in my brain. You know, so many of us are hard on ourselves. And I literally didn't know what I was more grateful for, the doctoral degree or just getting my life back and feeling like wow maybe we have a business here maybe we can help help others to adopt healthy habits and become more resilient especially as their stress levels go up so that's really my motivation for where i'm at today
2: so you really had a personal aha uh-huh.
1: A very moment. personal uh uh-huh.
2: that's so very funny because personal. that's the exact question you asked me when we had this discussion about, you know, what was your personal aha moment? And I truly had one also. I wanna share that <laughs> here now. We could talk about that some other time. But do you think because I see this struggle in my patients all the time and and, and they want this thing, this ideal thing. And so this is part of why I think these new medications are so Enticing to people because they want this rapid fix without having to change anything right, else.
1: Right. But
2: so many of them just keep repeating over and over and then they give up. If they haven't had a personal aha moment, I mean, what is that thing that patients bring that make them ready?
1: I think that it's individual and that's our responsibility to figure out what that is. That's why I always ask their why. Why do you want to improve your health? Why do you want to lose weight? You know, What is that burning desire? Do you wanna be able to get down on the the floor and play with your grandchildren? Do you wanna live another day? Are you worried you're gonna die early? Uh, You really have to get at that why and how they're feeling if they don't change. And so that's always my next question. Um, What's gonna happen? What do you fear might happen if you're unable to change? And uh, then my next question really is always, how committed are you to making changes on a scale of one to 10? I didn't do that until fairly recently in my career. And I would always expend the same amount of energy and effort with every single patient. But now I don't. Now, you know, it's all that readiness that we learn about that we give lip service to, right? But there's a way to really figure out if they say I'm a 10, 11, 12, I'm gonna spend some time with them and really help them to take the next steps, whatever those next steps are.
2: Okay, I find that so impactful. Because I'm in the middle of helping write rewrite guidelines right now. And so in clinical guidelines that we're giving to a whole bunch of clinicians, it's so rote. And it's, what's your 24-hour diet recall? What is that like typically? What's your activity? Like, we don't ask why. Right. And we don't ask what their own personal motivation is. And we don't continue to circle back to that. Right. Have you seen more success in using those two questions before you get to the whole assessment of do you eat fast food? How many steps do you take a day? That sort of thing.
1: Absolutely. Because then they're committed, they're invested, they're in it to win it. And and they know they've shared with with us. And when a person shares their deep inner um, desires and their pain, they're much more likely to listen and and really work with us in a team. Right? Otherwise, it's just this question, that question, this question, that question, and and we it it just doesn't engage them. We have to engage our patients so they're really highly motivated to move forward with us.
2: Okay, I like that. It's I been actually a game wrote- changer for me. Been yeah. a game
1: changer. Like I always have a huge assessment that I've ev- I've I've um, reviewed that I have collected with with my clients with my patients, and I you know a few different aspects of that assessment catch my attention but really where I want to put my my efforts are on their why and what happens if they don't change. And then what do they really want to work on?
2: Okay. So their own personal goals. What we're taught from the beginning. Exactly, what we're taught, right. <laughs> In nursing and nurse practitioner school. Imagine we that. We get right out. We Imagine get right that. out. <laughs> we move to guidelines and standards and, yeah.
1: And they can so, be pretty impersonal, right? Guidelines and standards can be pretty impersonal, but I believe we have to get very personal with people around lifestyle changes and behavior changes because it's not easy. It's much easier to stay the same. And people will not change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change because change is hard. So you have to really think about that statement. Is their pain of staying the same greater than the discomfort they're going to have changing?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good analogy. And there's no magic rapid, there's nothing that's going to make this fast and lasting, unless you get at that, what you just
1: talked about. Right. Um, And then what I believe is that we can't just change our eating plan and our movement, but we really need to begin to gain insight into our and awareness into our thoughts that are motivating our feelings and our actions. So I spend a lot of time with people asking them, you know, what, what are you telling yourself? Are you telling yourself you can be successful? Are you telling yourself you're enough just the way you are? Are, are you telling yourself uh, that it is possible for you to change, or have you given up? So if we are constantly talking to ourselves in a negative manner, that's bullying. And it's not okay. we don't we don't want bullying in any form, and we as nurse practitioners can get caught in the trap because we're perfectionists, right? We are perfectionists. We pile a lot on our plates and we're really hard on ourselves when we just don't hit hundred percent on every one of those expectations.
2: Yeah. The positive affirmations and self-talk are very much key in this journey, I think, and celebrating those really small wins and being gentle. We talk to ourselves in ways we would never talk to other people.
1: Right. And, so that and, has to be that has to be worked on that as a habit that's just as important to, as movement and eating healthy and um, better sleep and all of those aspects that are so critical to an overall revamping of our lives.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's so connected. So I want to circle back to that. But I first want to ask you, because you, people are coming to you specifically to to discuss this topic. What kind of effects are obesity and poor health habits, because it's all tied together? You can't just pull oh, yeah. one thing out.
1: Absolutely. Um,
2: what are you seeing as as far as effects or?
1: I have to say that you know almost universally, whether I'm interacting with a nurse practitioner or a non-nurse practitioner, uh, many people share the same kind of discomfort. They're having trouble moving around. They're having trouble uh, maybe with pre-diabetes or diabetes and multiple medications, cardiovascular. Um, you know, they may already have heart disease or they're worried about it. their lipids are not okay. And a host of musculoskeletal and orthopedic complaints usually come along with this, not to mention the mental health problems of stress, anxiety, depression, even suicidal ideation. And just that constant feeling of frustration and anger that you know people will direct mm-hmm. at themselves and hopelessness, I mean, mm-hmm. it's all almost a package deal. You know, it's really, really traumatic for patients when they're caught in that entire uh, whirlwind of disease or potential disease.
2: Yeah, it is. Um, Of course, most of the diabetes advising I do now is adult diabetes, and 90 percent of that is type two And, and the rates of depression in that population are so much larger than the general population and the population without diabetes. And I just don't think we talk about, and I think it's tied to what you're saying. And I find that those patients aren't sleeping, whether they have obstructive sleep apnea or not, and they're fatigued all the Mm -hmm. time and and they feel so defeated. There seems to be so much shame people carry around. They don't want to stand on the scale. They don't want to check their blood sugar because no matter what, it's bad. (laughs) right? Exactly.
1: Exactly. So that's why I think there's a huge advantage to taking on the role as a health coach, to be able to help people realize that even tiny little changes are going to be game changers for them. They're going to start feeling better about themselves. They're going to build self-confidence, self-esteem, and just those tiny little changes like drinking more water may help them feel less fatigued because 73% of our brains is water. So we have to train people Who learns you're supposed to drink eight, eight ounce glasses of water a day? I never learned that. I know it's a little bit controversial right now, whether we really need that much, but I know a lot of us wake up in the morning and we have headaches and we're tired and we don't think to chug a big glass of water. What do we do? We shoot for a Starbucks with an extra shot of espresso and pray it holds us for an hour. Yeah, no, it's it's not quite right.
2: It is the small changes, and over time, they do they do make an impact. I had. Um... I had a fitness trainer that I follow on Instagram the other day make this analogy and he had this huge wine glass and he had this tiny eyedrop bottle and he's like, so this is just one change. And he goes, people in two or three weeks get frustrated and he just started putting drops in the glass and every drop was a day. And he's like, there's seven days and you couldn't see any change. And he's like, (laughs) okay, here we are at 21 days. But he said, if I continue to do this for three months, for six months, this one change,
1: Exactly.
2: And so I was like,
1: well, that's really I worked with an athlete recently, and um, she was just shocked at how much better she felt increasing her water intake. She just never liked drinking water. She would be hard pressed to drink four little four ounce juice glass equivalents of water in a day, and she was working out two or three hours a day, and she was passing out. And when she started seriously increasing her fluid intake, her life changed. Her health improved so much. She was shocked.
2: Um, shocked. Yep. Small change, right? There and you go. I had another patient
1: recently who never understood she should drink a lot of water and she was constipated her whole life, started drinking more water and guess what? She started pooping <laughs> and she was like so thrilled.
2: Instead of writing a prescription for something amazing, right? Yeah, yeah, she tried this and
1: this and this. this. She tried all the prescriptions that we'd all get, you know, that people had given her.
2: You know, and I think sometimes that's a problem. When we're in a 15 minute visit and I have this patient who has severe obesity, I have to cover like everything instead of just going, why don't you just drink? so much water is this agreeable and let's talk in 2 weeks and see how you feel just pay attention to yourself but we're talking about blood pressure and how many steps you should take and this is a meal under 400 calories and here's how many We times
1: overwhelm people and I, again I have to say health coaching you take your cues from the patient you figure out what they really want to work on and of course we need to prioritize what that is we need to help them understand what's most urgent but often we layer on so much in terms of what we want our patients to do, they just walk out glazed over and Mm -hmm. go to McDonald's because they feel so defeated. So by sharing too much information with patients, I realize now I did a disservice to patients over the years by doing that. I I didn't understand.
2: Yeah, I like that too. I'm writing that one down, too much information. (laughs)
1: Too much information. We think it's power, of course we do, but we're in our brains with all this information in our brains we wanna just share with every patient. We have to appreciate that the rate at which we talk matters. Like I tend to talk too fast and that can really be hard for people. And I also tend to give too much information, although I'm really slowing down on that now. But also if we don't see patients very often, we feel that additional pressure, especially if the visits are short. So ideally we could interact if we were really in a health coaching role, like I am now, you know, I talk with my clients every week. So it takes the pressure off and they can reach out to me anytime in between. So we have this very uh, connected, continuous relationship, not just once a year or every six months. You're really going to be limited in what you can do when you only see patients infrequently.
2: I agree. And that's the beauty of my practice as well. In a text-based and a virtual telehealth with video, I can check in on people at any time and just drop them a line.
1: That's beautiful that Baby is an
2: beautiful. advantage, something to come out of COVID. Um,
1: right. But yeah. now patients are able to reach out to us. So that's a whole nother stressor. I talked with a client yesterday who said she I'm still at work at eight o'clock returning messages. I said, this is not okay. She's really working on improving her health. And she's at work at eight o'clock p.m. She's already been there since 730 in the morning.
2: Uh, well, let's yep. get into that because that's going yeah, to lead to that. Thing. So let, let's talk um, about I, I feel like we're it, they're going to bleed into each other, but I really want to talk about two different populations. So I, I want to talk about working nurse practitioners, but I also nope. want to talk about the general population. Why, why do you think we're seeing these trends in obesity? Because they're doing nothing but tracking up. 39% increase in obesity in the U.S. in the last decade or two. Why? Oh,
1: oh, why? Well, you know what? We live in a, a food culture, number one, right? You can get anything you want, anytime, anywhere. More fast food, which isn't good. We know it's not good. Uh, We live in a car culture, right? There are plenty of places in our our culture where you can't even walk on the side. There are no sidewalks. It's dangerous. So the car culture does not help. You know, having recently uh, vacationed in Europe, specifically in Holland, the culture is a bicycle. And I always say my car is a bicycle. I just rode my bicycle to the gym, worked out and rode my bicycle home. Now, on one of the highways between my house and the gym, I was on the sidewalk, but at least I did it. At least I left my car at home and I rode my bike to the gym. So I was thrilled with that. But in in reality, there are plenty of places where it's unsafe to exercise outdoors and to do your chores on foot. Uh, There are so many different reasons and people are stressed. Why are they so stressed? Well, it's a stressful world we live in. And who's teaching people to deal with the stress and become more resilient. We give lip service to it, right, Terry? We learn about stress. We learn about resilience. But do we actually um, have our feet held to the fire when we're in our educational programs that, you know, faculty are asking us to really ramp up our self-care and that we're going to be evaluated on that? No, never. In fact, I think faculty think it's kind of funny that people are all, students are all stressed out. And sometimes faculty are not walking the talk.
2: Right, but we're certainly not putting it out there. I mean, I've right. I've been a faculty I, I... member and we've got people, these people juggling, right? Full-time careers right. and families in graduate school.
1: Right, right. So I know when I'm teaching uh, new graduates that are getting ready to take their national boards, I commingle all my self-care. I'll say, when you see me raise my water glass, you better raise your water glass and let's drink.
2: I knew you'd have yours today. Okay, so I brought
1: And Let's get out of that chair and do some stretching. Mm -hmm. And tonight, you stop studying and go to sleep and get some good sleep so that you will remember what you learned today. I mean, all that should just be constantly commingling uh, with us as students, nurse practitioner students, faculty should be helping us so that we are getting healthier during our programs. Now I can't say faculty during my DN program helped me to get healthier, but my call, all of my student peers, we were a very healthy group. We were very aware of wanting to be uh, um, healthy during our program, which I'm very grateful for. Very grateful.
2: That's nice. We do need to maybe band together and hold each other accountable. All I remember is just so much reading and writing in right. my PhD program
1: there was oh, no. no and it never ended the minute I finished an yeah. a, an assignment I'd be working on another one I was like so paranoid oh my gosh
2: yeah yeah
0: all right so but, let's
2: what do you think <laughs> you, you work with a lot of nurse practitioners I do as well in my clinical job I actually work with a lot of much younger new to practice nurse practitioners and they are all very healthy they like hike in Colorado and they they do all these amazing things and I'm like whoa. I have a desk yeah. I sit at,
1: so, yeah. but how yeah. do you
2: think we're doing as a profession overall, taking care of ourselves,
1: dealing don't with stress? I think we're leave. doing a great job, honestly, mm-hmm. but I think the system has changed so much recently that it's kind of really oppressive, so I know over my career, I've not had much opportunity to use the bathroom, eat any kind of major meal at work, I've often you know, just not been able to even drink a lot of fluids at work, but I know it's getting worse. I know there's incredible pressure to just constantly increase numbers. You just mentioned the 15-minute visit. We didn't used to have 15-minute visits, but rarely. We had 45 minutes with a new patient, half an hour for follow-ups, and occasionally a 15-minute visit, but not very many. And that was even stressful. That was even stressful. So now what people are encountering, nurse practitioners are encountering, is really a difficult lifestyle. Very. Like they can't chew a protein bar in between patients because then they can't talk on the phone with a patient. So they have to just drink like a protein shake or skip, skip meals, skip nutrition. I see it all the time. And then they're expected to work at night catching up on EMR and weekends catching up on EMR. And you know that's, that's now the new reality of these professional positions that um, nurse practitioners are taking. But Honestly, most of them never signed up for that. And then what happens to family and loved ones and children and relationships and fun and just hanging out, just relaxing? It well, is very yeah. hard lifestyle right now.
2: And, and not only, I mean, their own personal self-care, but how does that bleed out into their patient care and the profession as a whole and the organization they work for? If we're not keeping
1: Well, we're more likely to make errors, right, Terry? We're more likely to make errors. You should not go to work when you're stressed. You shouldn't because you're much more likely to make errors and not think through the differential. Maybe not think of the diagnostic test you should do. Maybe just not even come up with the right diagnosis. And not to mention the interaction you're having with a patient. If you're stressed out, it's not going to be therapeutic. You can try to cover it up, but patients can tell the difference. They can tell when you're authentically joyful And when you're stressed, I honestly believe that. Sure. I I didn't really realize that earlier in my career, and I had a tough time because I hadn't managed my stress well over many decades. So I just like put the face on and fake it during the visit. And I'm not proud of having done that for years.
2: (laughs) And I was miserable. I was miserable. Yeah, I think we've all been there and done that, and patients can certainly read it. And it's difficult for them to buy into what we're saying if you're not there already. Interesting.
1: Very.
2: So one of the things we talked about was sleep. And I want to circle back to that before we get into some other things about obesity, but maybe it's just me, the older I'm getting, I'm finding my quality of sleep and my time of sleep is not what it was. But also I'm finding that in everyone I see, maybe because they're sick patients, but what's going on with sleep in the midst of all of this we're seeing with health and obesity?
1: Well, certainly sleep is going to be affected by stress. It's going to be affected by any uh, chronic health problem, especially if they have sleep apnea, if they have blood sugar that's not normal. I mean, it's just uh, if they have orthopedic issues and back pain and joint problems, they're going to have more trouble sleeping, right? So it is just all part of that whole, that whole package we're seeing with chronic disease, including obesity. Uh, it's very hard to even move in bed if you have orthopedic issues. Related to obesity, right? Yeah. Often it's hard to sleep on your side or sleep on your stomach or just feel free in bed. Right. <laughs> you feel trapped. But also as we get older, we wake up, we wake up more often and we have a harder time getting back to sleep. So that is obviously part of educating our, in quotes, older patients.
2: Yeah, I'm finding my smartphone is also a factor in all of
1: this. Oh, you got to put it away. They say you've got to plug it in in another room. You should not have it at your bedside. I know. So, I mean, sleep hygiene is very much related to these devices.
2: Yeah, I know. And the mom and me is like, but what if one of the children needs me? They're grown adults, Mimi and I still. <laughs> well, exactly. Cute. They're
1: grown adults. <laughs> Where Tari. am I going to go? <laughs> I keep my phone off pretty much all the time unless I anticipate a big problem and then I turn it on. But boy, I sure don't really want it on at night. Oh, yeah. goodness. <laughs> but that is related to sleep hygiene big time.
2: Yeah. All right. I'm going to work One hour out.
1: before you want to get to sleep, you got to turn off all the devices.
2: Yeah. Wow. Well, and sleep is such an important factor in our body healing, right? Our brain yes. doing what it's supposed to do in in growth hormone secretion at the right time, in lowering yes. cortisol levels, in healing right. in the body, in making us less insulin resistant.
1: Right.
0: And
2: Even for our memories as nurse Mm -hmm. practitioners, we're going to work
1: better the next day if we get adequate sleep because our memories, our brains need to recover as well.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: Yep.
2: So (laughs) where do you think the gaps in knowledge really are right now, especially for nurse practitioners in really cracking this code of wellness, but specifically obesity, because this is why people come to us. I need to lose 20 pounds. I want to weigh what I weighed 40 right. years ago. That's what drives them in the door. So right. where are we, what, what don't so, I know in practice? What's missing the mark?
1: Well, there are a couple of pieces. Uh, there's a huge focus on weight loss medications, right? So I feel like nurse practitioners have are getting a handle on on those. But unless we address lifestyle and habits, what are we going to do? Just keep patients on medication forever? So they can eat junk food. They may eat less junk food. But do we really want a thin, unhealthy person? We want patients to benefit from weight loss medications in a healthy way. So I think weight loss medications and health coaching go hand in hand together. And sometimes they don't even need weight loss medications. They can try if they can be involved in an effective health coaching program. That's more than seeing the nurse practitioner once every six months. They may be able to do very well. That's my experience with the program I'm involved in now, Uh, not taking medication, but sometimes they do need it. So obviously with pre-diabetics and diabetics and other folks, there are some indications, but I don't see it as a panacea for everyone. And it certainly should not take the place of uh, improving healthy habits, adopting healthy habits. Do you think?
2: No, I, I completely agree with you. So what's the magic key for checking in with patients? So health coaching is this thing. Do we need to be incorporating that into where we are? Because I have patients who will even resist going to get labs because they might have a copay. So that's where right. my Right. So I don't
1: know if we can incorporate health coaching effectively in clinical practice where we have 15-minute visits, but yeah. we can still take some pearls like what we talked about earlier, what's your why? How committed are you? What do you want to work on today? And just, just shift the emphasis to what we want to blurt out to more of what they want to really focus on. I think okay. that can take the pressure off. And okay. that how, how committed are you on a scale of one to 10? It's going to take the pressure off the clinician.
2: No, I like that. And, and that was exactly where I was going to go next. So, you know, the things we really should take away, we we have to get at their why and continue to circle back because it's got to mean something. Right? Constantly.
1: Right. And, and it may change. It may change. It will change.
2: It can. Right. Like life. It's, right. it's not going to be in the same place. Right. And how motivated they are. And just those one or two changes instead of throwing a lot, Oof. just have them make one or two changes and see. Right. OK. Right. All right. I now, for them, that. though,
1: if we shift to talking about what can nurse practitioners do for themselves and where is the mm. deficit, the deficit really is in not having the skills in self-care, especially as our stress levels go up. Usually we just crash and burn. The wheels fall off. We go to Cheesecake Factory. We console ourselves with alcohol. We don't learn how to ramp up our self-care as our stress levels go up. And I don't mean increasing time at the gym. I mean, just keeping things consistent, Mm -hmm. movement every day, uh, nutritious, uh, healthy choices when you're stressed. Is that intuitive? No, you have to learn that. I just enjoy whatever healthy foods I eat because I like food. So instead instead of feeling deprived that I can't have a donut when I'm stressed out, I just enjoy whatever healthy choice I am eating. Mm-hmm. I like food, and I've trained myself to like healthy food.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Boy, that certainly hit personally. So for nurse practitioners, really, the place we have to start, uh, I'm hearing Michael Jackson's song, Man in the Mirror, in my head. Yeah, exactly,
1: exactly. We have
2: to start here with our own why and love ourselves, right? We, we exactly. add such a moral tone to judging food, good food, bad food. And so then when we make a bad choice in our own head, bad, you were We're bad.
1: bad. We're bad. We're bad. There are and no bad foods. we're bad, bad food.
2: because we made, right, instead of just saying.
1: There are just, there are, are food choices that we make, suboptimal food choices we make. There's no right. good and bad food. Um, I mean, you're not a bad person when you have a donut. You know, we right. just really have to work with our patients to help them understand the power and ourselves, the power of our inner thoughts. Yes. And, and pay our, attention to words. ourselves.
2: What makes us feel better? What gives yeah. more energy? What
1: Right. And what can you do when you're in despair with your stress level? Take care of yourself. What's going to serve you to help you feel better? It's not crashing and burning and just, you know, doing what you've always done. It's going to be changing the way you deal with that stress in a positive way. So and I think it's all about nurse
2: practitioners to instead of go, okay, I'm gonna do this one more thing, and this what can you say no to first? Exactly second, add on. My, we just my mother gave it. me a little
1: my mother gave me a little button. She said, put that on and wear it every day. It says no. Practice <laughs> saying no. I loved that idea. Yeah. We try to be everything to everyone at all times, but it really can backfire. I spent a whole career doing that. And you know, you can achieve a lot, but At the detriment of yourself, the joy of having long-term relationships, you just can't hold the carrot out until, you know, you catch up on EMR and then see your best friend once a year. I mean, I have some major, major regret with having done that uh, over time just because I've always been so busy with my career and not had that continuous connection with friends like I would have liked. So I'm really trying to steer the ship back to more of a balance.
2: No, nope, I appreciate that. This is definitely what I needed to hear today. <laughs> I appreciate uh-huh. you just
1: speaking Well, you're so an overachiever personally. too. I mean, we love what you're doing for N-PACE, and you're definitely an overachiever, Terry, but there is there is a way for us to have it all. We need to engineer our lives so that we can fit in those blissful activities and relationships that we really feed our souls. Very, very important.
2: I agree with you, and then other things just fall into line. And you know, we're trying to do that and teach that when we are on ground and in person, and also with our on-demand learning. We've got wellness, which I love. You've
1: really, you've really done a great job incorporating self-care into the conferences, into the uh, virtual experience with NPACE. and I just think that's invaluable. Invaluable.
2: Well, it's personal for us,
1: right? Right. It is very personal for us because your Quality of life today, this minute, right now, this is all we have right now, right. this minute. Why not be happy and joyful and feel good physically and mentally, then feel miserable?
2: Yep. And just like any good good effort, it's going to be a slow and steady process. So we'll keep doing it, sprinkling it in.
1: Well, I think what what's so cool is the process is the reward. So we always think the reward is the end point, but it's not the end point. It is not, you know, we're very goal oriented as nurse practitioners, but the process should be the reward. So that's why we want to help people choose foods they enjoy, choose activities they enjoy, uh, choose a lifestyle that's healthy that they're going to thrive on, not be miserable. We're not counting the minutes till they can get off that damn diet, <laughs> right? It's the journey.
2: It's like taking that beautiful hike or road trip. It's what you exactly. see along the way.
1: Let's create right. a beautiful lifestyle for ourselves and for our patients that we can embrace and be happy following. Isn't that a concept?
2: It is. And it's all tied to obesity and professional practice and wellness.
1: It is. It okay. Is.
2: Before I wrap <laughs> us up here, I do want to give a shout out to you and the health coaching that you do, because I've. I've been a participant in it and it it was life-changing for me Mimi oh, it really has started you, me on a journey over the last 16 weeks or so that's made a difference in how I feel and that's just such a drop in the bucket to the oh bigger my gosh, picture thank but,
1: you so much yeah I is can't there, even tell you how much it means to me to really have that sacred relationship with mostly nurse practitioners helping them get the get their health back and the joy in their lives back and just feel like they have more more self-esteem and control in their lives it's just making such an impact on me late in my career I I just am full my heart is full hearing that Well,
2: I have to tell you as as a participant it is the first time in a life as a caregiver and a mother that I felt truly cared for in a healthy way and that was impactful and I think that's why you're you're having the impact that you are on other people. It, that's something.
1: Thank you. And that's what health coaching is all about. You know, it's bringing yeah. your unique personality and your unique self to that particular role.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you. And if people want to find you or anything you've written, what's your, what's your website URL? They can just, it's just my name,
1: mimiscor.com, mimiscor.com. Okay. So
2: anybody that wants to learn more about that, com books are great. The information is great. I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to oh, join us today. Oh, thank you, Terry. Um, Take an email me
1: too, mimi at MimiCcore.com. That's easy.
2: Okay, perfect. They can get more information that way. For anyone else that may be listening, if you want to hear any of the talks Mimi has done, and in fact, we were just with you at Cape Cod, the PCOS that you did in Cape Cod was the best PCOS talk I have ever heard. Anyone can get to that too at learn.npace.org. and yeah. we do have we have a page of wellness there we have free CE but there's Great. stuff from Mimi and you can just search in the search bar for, for for Mimi you can just type in her first name at learn.npace.org, and you can you can pull up her stuff All right so I also have to tell you that you can check for all things n N-PACE at npace.org for information on our on-ground conferences. We have three more this year. We're going to San Diego and we're doing an all pharmacology conference. Then we're going back to Cape Cod. We have a whole morning in Cape Cod on women's health. And Lynn um, Lynn Rap Silver is coming Robert. to do a whole morning on starting your own practice since we have 27 Yay, states. I know fantastic. it's going to be good. And Great. in Phoenix, we're going to do our first Acute care conference, two days of acute Yay. care in Phoenix.
1: Yeah, That's we're
2: going to take care.
1: Of, I know. the retired uh, community, right? Phoenix. It
2: is, and each one of those we have wellness at each of these in-person great. conferences too. Great. so we got to yeah. moving. I know yep. we're going to get people moving and taking care of themselves.
1: Put on your favorite music and dance. That's great movement. Uh, we should. Day.
2: You know, Patsy Sulak is going to be our keynote in Phoenix, and you know Patsy, she gets everyone up and moving that whole
1: room. She's so fantastic. Yeah, she really is.
2: (laughs) All right, so Mimi, thank you to being here. Thank you for everybody that tuned in. Thank you, Thank
1: you for all your excellent work. and I appreciate it,
2: and I'm going to draw, yeah, thanks to our staff that are here and helping with this. Josh and Ryan and Dylan Ryan. and Skylar. I'm going to wrap up. This is concludes our first episode of the Friends of Face podcast. Keep your eye out on our website and our social media channels for more updates. And when the next episode will become available, be sure to like and subscribe and make comments and share with your friends. And I hope that we can continue this discussion in the future, Mimi.
1: I agree. Thank you for joining us today, everyone.